Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Fairness for all. This is another in an ongoing series on what may be the most important legislative initiative dealing with religious freedom in our lifetime. I don't think I'm overstating it, but we'll see what our guest thinks about this. Uh, Tim Schultz, my good friend, president of the First Amendment Partnership, and very much active in the coalition efforts to pass this critically important religious freedom legislation. Tim, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Always great to be with you, Alan. So have I overstated the significance? Uh, I think this is really crucial. What do you think? Well, I think if fairness for all uh, law passed at the federal level, it, it probably would be the most important uh, religious freedom development, um, at least of, of you know the last 20 or 30 years, uh, because it would mean that we had found a way to end the legal and political uh, war over religious freedom versus LGBT rights. And, and that's what we're really talking about here is that conflict yeah. between uh, sexual freedom, LGBT rights, and religious freedom. Right, and and I think nobody should be under the illusion that that, it will, that that passing legislation like this is going to completely end completely end the conflict. Um, that it's going to be a kind of kumbaya, and we're going to be all dancing through the streets. No, I don't think that's what we're after. I, I just think, you know, we're after a a just settlement of. Um, of things that folks on both sides have, have reasonable claims to. And on the one side, we believe, Alan, that, um, that religious freedom is important, that it's important for individuals and institutions to be able to express their faith all the time um, and, 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 and live um, higher staff around, in many cases, the belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. On the other hand, uh, gay, lesbian, transgender Americans uh, face discrimination in housing, employment, in, in certain public accommodations, um, almost everyone agrees that, that that discrimination is unjust, and I think if there are a way to do both of those things at the same time in that discrimination while protecting religious freedom, we ought to try to do it. It's hard because the coalition politics of it are hard. It's not that hard for lawyers to figure out how to do it. It's more hard to figure out how to get the political coalitions together. Right, right. Well, and, you know, a couple of things, but let's start on the, the faith side of the equation. Sure. Um, we're really looking at the risk that Christian institutions will no longer be able to practice their beliefs about human sexuality. Is that fair? Well, that's a real risk. I mean, you know, the the, the question is, is, is many of the many of the laws that that Christian institutions are subject to are either passed by legislatures or they are pursuant to decisions by accrediting bodies, things like that. And so you could face threats from legislatures, as you did in California last year with the infamous uh, SB 1146. But you also may have accreditation organizations saying, "Look, if you want to, if you want to keep your views on marriage and family and sexuality, uh, and you want to, and you want to continue to have your practices built around that, sorry, you're not accredited anymore." And as you know, uh, right. that would be an effective death penalty for a Christian institution like Gordon College in Massachusetts, which came very close to losing their accreditation on that very issue. So um, those are really huge risks, and if those risks can be ended, 
in a way that also protects uh, LGBT people from unjust discrimination, I'd say that's a, that's a good outcome. So uh, I think it's important for our listeners to understand, first of all, that there really are serious risks for Christian institutions, for colleges, uh, for example, and that if we really care about securing our own religious freedom, we're, we're going to have to get over this notion that religious freedom means freedom to believe the way I believe. Um, that yeah, freedom, right on those counts. we've got to recognize that people who believe and live according to different values, their rights have to be protected if our own rights are going to survive. So I totally agree on both counts. So, Alan, people that are in the higher education business, so that's not me. I'd listen to them because they're the experts. They know what the risks are. Um, there, the likelihood that a Christian higher administration, uh, you know, official will support a fairness for all initiative is extremely high because they know what the risks are. And frankly, they have uh, LGBT students on their campuses that they're trying to do right by. But by doing right by, that doesn't mean they're changing their theology. It just means that they, they don't want those, those kids to go out into the workplace after graduation and face discrimination. They think that's wrong. Um, but on the other hand, as you said, I mean, it's pretty easy, I think, for Seventh-day Adventists to get their arms around this idea of pluralism because your church is used to being countercultural, right? Mm-hmm. Certain of your practices be seen culture by the larger culture is you know, a little bit odd, maybe. Um, and, and I think that all of us need to, all of us who, who have a kind of Christian view of, of sexuality, that the historic Christian view, need to understand that that places us as cultural minorities. It does. And... That, that's true if you're Catholic, it's true if you're Mormon, it's true if you're Seventh-day Adventist, um, evangelical, whatever. Um, and so you can't ask society to tolerate um, your minority views. If you're not willing to tolerate views you disagree with, it's just, it's impossible. And so... Uh, well, it, it kind of implicates the golden rule, I think, that we, you know... Uh, we want the freedom for ourselves. We need to be willing to extend that freedom to others uh, who are going to use that freedom differently, who have different beliefs and practices than we do. Exactly. So that's and, and Alan, of course, that's not just true in the context of sex, right? Unfortunately, religious freedom and sexual freedom have, have become almost, uh, you know, uh, perfect between those two things. But we both know, Alan, that you, you've been doing this for a long time. You want to protect the rights of Seventh-day Adventists. You better also protect the rights of Muslims, Hindus, uh, you know, other uh, other folks who don't share your views on reality, right? Um, sure. You want to have religious freedom. You better be willing to defend the freedom of people who disagree with you about religion, about sex, about a lot of other things. Well, that's certainly true, and, and that's what we've been doing um, as a church for more than 100 years, and you know, what I've devoted my professional life to. And uh, some people, you know, kind of look at me sideways when I say I represent people of other faiths, uh, Mormons or Muslims or, you know, whoever. Yeah. Well, and a part of it is, and I understand it because I, I think people, um, you know, people sometimes think that if you defend somebody else's religious freedom that you're defending the actual beliefs, um, you, you know, you're, you're essentially saying you're kind of becoming a kind of universalist, right? Well, hey, uh, all, all of these faiths are basically the same. And, of course, that's just not true. We can believe for pluralism as far as our public life goes while not believing that all faiths are basically the same. We, you know, but in order to really 
uh, have the opportunity to evangelize, we have to have a baseline where people are free to choose, right? We're not compelling people into our faith. We have to persuade them. And, and so the baseline of religious freedom for all is really important. So, you know, I want to speak to one of the issues. You know, our, our audience, of course, it tends to be a more conservative Christian audience. And, you know, they're also going to hear other conservative voices that don't support fairness for all. And, you know, there are some who think that it's a sin for Christians to support, uh, you know, legalizing, if you will, having the law recognize and protect um, behavior that they regard as sinful. And, right. you know, I want to turn that around and, and have you speak to this because, um, to me, we have a historic opportunity now with a conservative shift in our national politics. We have a historic opportunity to try to secure uh, some measure of religious freedom for faith-based institutions. And if we don't do that, if we don't protect our right to believe differently than the majority, uh, that would be a sin. Yeah, so I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that there clearly are ethical um implications here. People who support fairness for all never do so out, merely out of, uh, you know, tactical political reasons. Um, but I do think that there are deep ethical reasons for, for wanting, as you said earlier, to kind of follow the rule here. Um, of course, people are going to come out differently. I'm not, I'm not castigating, sort of morally castigating, you know, Christians who disagree with me on this. Um, but, but also, um, I think as you said, is it really is a moral failing if you have an opportunity to protect religious freedom. And out of some sense of, you know, kind of puritanical or perfectionism, you refuse to do so. Um, and ask this question of, you know, legitimizing sin by protecting LGBT people from non-discrimination. Um, I really think that people who make that argument need to reflect on all of the times that they're perfectly fine with our public policy, not perfectly overlapping with, you know, their, the teachings of their church. Um, there are lots of times where, you know, Christians, regardless of denomination, accept that their public policy is just not going to, and it in fact isn't even always desirable, uh, to, to have, uh, public policy perfectly reflect, you know, what their church teaches about things. Um, and so, um, you know, just Well, I'm going to go another step beyond that, Tim. Yeah. And I'm going to suggest that, um, in the book of Exodus, the law that God gave to Moses for nation of Israel did not perfectly reflect God's moral absolute because the first thing that God did after giving Moses the Ten Commandments was to give him laws about slavery. Now, I challenge our listeners, do you really believe that slavery is part of God's moral absolute? And yet he tolerated it. Jesus himself talked about it. He said, you know, Moses... Moses gave you this law on divorce, but that's because your hearts were hard, right? Mm, so God okay. himself put his law giving on, on divorce, which is kind of a public policy issue that's still with us, right? Marriage. It is. Oh, very much. Marriage law. What could be more clear? You know, uh, it, it has to do with the order of creation, man and woman, gender, all the things we're debating now, right? And, and God and his public policy, uh, you know, makes a law, if you will, that is contrary to his ultimate design. Um, and you're right. You're right about that. Well, at this point, Fairness for All is um, in development. It's not an actual legislation, but we're tackling the issue um, head-on, trying to educate folks about it, because we hope that it will produce legislation. 
Right, and of course it has. Utah has has passed a law. Of course, it's a unique state because it's it's heavy uh, LDS population. But many other states have are, are considering this type of legislation right now. And of course, a lot of this is is dealt with in private before you know you have enough of a coalition behind it to go public. But there also, as you alluded to, is a federal effort to to try to pass this in the Congress. And uh, that's you know that's more complicated because at the federal level everything's it's obviously more complex. But um, I really, I really think it's important. Well, and I do think it's also important at the state level. Um, in many, many states where politically it's feasible to do, uh, and we've pointed out on other shows that where religious freedom claims rely only on the First Amendment, they tend to lose, and where uh, they have statutory uh, backup, they do much, much better. Very true. Very true. Yes, indeed. Well, Tim, we certainly appreciate your efforts at uh, at moving fairness for all along. Thank you. Craft legislation. Our guest today, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership. Uh, we're talking about efforts to balance religious freedom and LGBT rights in the legislature, uh, in Congress, and we will keep you posted. Thanks, Alan. Thanks so much for being our guest today on Freedom Right. You bet. Hope to do it again. And as we close, I want to remind our listeners here at Freedom Spring, we don't just talk to talk about religious freedom. We help people suffering religious discrimination, especially in the workplace. But you can check out all of our legal resources on our website at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And do listen to Freedom Spring on your iTunes library or on SoundCloud. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved today. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom Spring, at religiousliberty.info, religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom Spring. I'm your host, Alan Reiner. Until next week, friends, let freedom ring.